This message is brought to you from Calon Church. We pray that it encourages and inspires you. Hello, good morning. How are you? Once again, I have to say that you are looking fabulous. Did you get a haircut? Ah. This morning, we're going to talk about gaps and minding the gaps. So this morning, I've actually got a title. I know last time I didn't, and I felt really bad about it. So I was really determined this time that you should have a title for this message. The title is Mind the Gap. So last time when I spoke, we spoke about Jesus and the need for a saviour and how he's our redeemer and how God was always, always on our side, always for us, never against us, and that Jesus is God, and that when we needed saving, there was Jesus. He bridged the gap between God and man. And I want to start off by reading this chapter to you, not the whole chapter, good grief, but from the first book of Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Here we go. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Amen. What a great word. What a great word. And that's what the gap is. You know, our job now as Christians, we hear it in the Great Commission in Matthew and also in Luke, that our job, what we are told, is our role on earth is to make disciples of all men. Our role, our calling. This morning, if you're not sure what your calling is in Christ Jesus, I'm here to tell you, it's to direct other people to Jesus. The call upon all of us is to share the all-encompassing knowledge of Jesus through his gospel, the good news. That's the call upon our life. And when we mind the gap, we are put into a place where we are the gap guarders for people. Now listen, we don't save people. When Christians share the gospel with people, we are not responsible for their saving. God alone is a saving God. He's the only one who can pardon sin. So let's not get into any spaces where we think that was all down to me. I'm making it clear today. When we stand in that gap for people, as ordained by God, it is God alone who saves through Jesus Christ, his one and only son. Amen? So we are custodians of that gospel called to fill that gap. Fill that gap like a Victoria sandwich. You know what? It wouldn't be a Victoria sponge if it wasn't for the jam but it bridges those two things. And Jesus is in there and we are on this earth as his hands and feet to do his bidding. We are like the jam. We are the ones who are bringing that message of good news to people. So what are we going to do? How do we mind the gap? We do the will of God. We point to Jesus. Yes, Andrea. Yes, Andrea. Yes, Andrea. I hear you all saying it. When is she going to tell us something new? What's she talking about? What's this about? We know this stuff. But listen, Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we forget that the gospel isn't just for us as believers, it's for everyone else as well. The Bible is very clear here that Christ Jesus gave himself for all. And we're called to do it. Let's just bounce back a little with prayers, petition, intercession, and thanksgiving that we make for all people. So we're not called to be inactive and just guard our own belief. 
and do nothing for other people. We are called to be active and on behalf of other people, be pestering God, be banging the doors of heaven, praying for other people who need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged this morning that when we pray those prayers for people, God hears them. So what I want to know is, do we know what the gap is? And do we know what it isn't? Because there's a couple of things that come to us here. And we need to be in a place where you might not know that there is a gap. You might not know that we are called to shine the light of Jesus. You might not know how we shine the light of Jesus. And especially during a time where we've been locked down and a lot of our work, a lot of our you know, professional stuff, a lot of our church stuff has been done online. You might be thinking, yeah, but Andrea, that's, that's not how we do it. We've got to wait until we're back in our churches. We've got to wait until we're back in prayer meetings. We've got to wait until we're physically back in Bible studies. Or we can go out onto the streets and we can preach that way. That's how we're going to meet the gap. That's how we're going to reach people. My friends, this morning, I'm telling you, as I'm stood here in front of a camera, I'm telling you that this morning I'm speaking to you and I am reaching out to you. And it is as real in this second as if I was in the room with you. If I was in the room with you, I would still be having this conversation with you. I would tell you that there is a God in heaven that loves you, that Jesus Christ, his son, died for you, and that the call upon your life is to share his glory with other people. So when we say about, oh, you know what, how are we going to do it when we don't see people? We do it this way. We do it in any way that we can. We do it through prayer. We do it through petition. We do it through intercession, which is standing in the gap and praying on behalf of other people. And we do it through thanksgiving. We do it through giving gratitude and glory and thanks to our God for all he's done. Are you grateful for the people in your life? Are you grateful for the ones who bring you joy and love? Are you grateful for the ones you cherish? What about the ones that we don't cherish so much? What about the difficult people in our lives? What about the ones who give us sleepless nights? The ones who make us worry? The ones who make us angry? What about those people? Are we thanking God that we are in touching distance of those people and that we have an opportunity to stand in the gap for those people and pray to the God, the most high God, the most high God, that they would be saved in his name. Amen. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take you through what I think it is. Because what we do is we attend to God's thoughts and characters when we pray to him. When we are in a place where we are, you know, and, and, and you know, the letter to Timothy from Paul. Paul says, I urge you. I urge you. It's not just, hey, if you feel like it, maybe think about doing this stuff. Paul urges Timothy in all goodness, with all conscience, to pray, to petition, to intercede and thanksgive for all men. So that's what we can do. So I just wanted to bring round into our thinking, what is mind in the gap and what isn't? So I thought I'd focus first on what it isn't, because I did. That's the way my notes go, so I'm doing that first. And I want us to think about the book of Genesis. And I want us to think about Abraham. Way, 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 way back, Abraham was called, you know, righteousness. He was called goodness. He was a man that was pulled out of a land that he knew and told to leave by God to a country that he'd never been to before, but that God would be with him. And God says it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham put his faith in God for everything that God was, for everything that God was going to do, and he did it. Now, 
there are highs and lows, there are ups and downs. But we get to a point where God has given Abraham a prophetic word about how his wife Sarah, who's barren, is going to have a child. And after he gives that word to him, Abraham is told by God. They have this conversation. It's in Genesis 18. Read it. It is remarkable where God shares his heart, his thoughts, his plans with a man called Abraham. And he says to Abraham, you know, you are my servant. You are so good. I love you so much. I'm going to tell you my plans. There are two towns called Sodom and Gomorrah, and they are so wicked, I'm going to wipe them out. That's what I'm going to do. Not one person will be left. I'm going to lay them flat. And Abraham turns to God and says, but you are the God of heaven. Would you do that? Would you? Would you kill all the righteous people along with the unrighteous people? And they have this exchange. And the culmination of this exchange is, is that God agrees that if there are 20 righteous people in Sodom, he won't destroy the cities. We know the story. If you don't, please go and read it in Genesis 19 and 20, the story of Lot and Lot's wife. But what happens here is that Abraham stands in the gap. He stands firm and he appeals to God for all that he is. He doesn't appeal to God to do something that is out of the nature of God or out of the character of God. He stands before God and he prays God to God. And he means that and it's pure and it's obedient and it is heartfelt and it is diligent and it is God himself in prayer. And God responds to Abraham. Don't think for one second when we're praying and we're praying God's heart, God's going, ah, but if only I could be bothered to listen today. God doesn't think like that. God wants us to pray God to God. I know that doesn't make sense, maybe the way I'm saying it, but it's if we align our path with God, our pleasures with God, our destiny with God, we pour out God. And when we pray, we pray God's will to God. And that's what he does. So, my first what it isn't is, and what Abraham typifies here is what it should be. So what it isn't is, minding the gap for other people is never performative. What that means is, it's not a performance. If we are saying we are doing that for people, it should be a heartfelt gut outpouring. Not, yeah, yeah, I'm doing that. Because actually, I like the way it makes me look in front of you. Or I like the way it makes me feel that I say I'll pray for you. You know, we all see these things, especially on social media. You might get texts where people go, oh, will you pray for me? And I'm wondering how many of us actually message back, yeah, of course, or with prayer hands, but that's the extent of it. You know, are we now, do we have an emoji-based belief system where if I send you praying hands or raised up hands or a heart, that means I've done it. What God wants is more than that. He wants more than performance. No matter, and listen, please believe me when I say this, this is not condemnatory. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter how genuinely we might be responding to that. If we don't do what we say we will do and what God asks us to do, it's performative. It's nothing more than show. It, it becomes useless because if we're not praying to God and we're not doing anything, it has no use. Sending an emoji of praying hands to someone without praying is useless, friends. We just need to get on the same page about that. 
So we don't need it to be performative. It's not about how we perceive we look when we're doing it. You know, sometimes standing in the gap looks ugly. Sometimes it looks sloppy. Sometimes it looks messy. Sometimes it looks brutal. Sometimes when we're standing in the gap for people, I don't need to tell some of you, it will break your heart. And you spend yourself on behalf of that person. And you petition God. And it sometimes feels like heaven doors are bolted fast, but they never are. God always listens. So sometimes we feel like our prayers aren't being heard. They always are. They always are. Matthew Henry says, know that the prayers of the faithful are filed away in heaven and God remembers them. It might take a while for you to see your answer, but that's God's business. But we should never grow weary or resent standing in the gap because we don't get an instant return on it. You know, it's too quick to send back a quick message with a heart or prayer hands. No matter how genuinely believe we are doing that or how genuine we are in doing that, if we are backing that up with petitioning and thanksgiving and gratitude and prayer and intercession, it doesn't really mean anything. The other thing it isn't is it doesn't virtue signal. I mean, one of the things that virtue signal is, and you see a lot of this, isn't it? It's people telling you how good they are. It's people telling you how amazing they are because they've done a good thing. So sometimes that looks like people won't always turn up and go, do you know what, I was really amazing today because I was lovely to someone. I just let them, move out, you know, give them my space in the car park and, you know, or my token up to the trolley. I just let them do that. This is when we put something on there that's designed actually not to make us look good, but it actually makes us look good. It's me telling you how amazing I am because I've done an amazing thing. So ergo, I am amazing. Where's God in that? You know what? The Bible says, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. It says, you know what? When you fast, make sure you wash your face and do your hair up tidy. So don't walk around looking, I'm fasting. You know, that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us when we're about God's business, we do it 100%. We do it excellently. And we don't actually have to brag about it and tell everybody what we're doing because the glory goes to God in heaven, not any of us for the good things we've done. So we need to be away, aware of what we're doing when we're virtue signaling. Listen, if we are directing glory back to God, we need to actually take a step back and ask ourselves why we're not doing that. Because you know what John the Baptist says, doesn't he, when he's talking about Jesus? He becomes more, John the Baptist said, and I become less. But sometimes in our world, when we look at it, we get that about face. And it's like, well, I become more. And Jesus can, I don't know, be my, be my partner be my you know, background guy. No, we direct everything back to him. We direct God's glory right back up. We are a conduit to reflect God's glory. He doesn't share. And we, as Christians, should never be in a position where we're chipping away at that with what we do. So our job is to just not be performative, not to virtue signal. Here's the other thing that it's not. Minding the gap is totally different. When we stand in that gap for people, it is never about us claiming the moral high ground. When we pray for people, it is from a heart of love. It is from a heart of grace. It is a heart that knows there, but for the grace of God go I. It is a heart that says, Lord God, you are so good. You did this for me. Now I'm standing here praying for other people. It's not, Lord, I know they're shocking. I know they're a rotter and thank goodness I'm not. But you know, would you step in here? It is never about judging people's rights and wrongs. It is never about saying, you know what, if only they could clean their act up a little bit, then I'd pray for them. But right up now, you know, it is about saying, 
I will stand in this gap for you. You know, God makes it very, very clear that we are called, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. You know, I am so grateful that Christ died for me. Why would I keep that to myself? Why would I want nobody else to have that? Why would I put conditions and addendums around that? It is for God's glory. We pray for all people. It is about, you know, God answering our prayer. And he will do it how he does it. How he answers prayer is none of our business. So when we do pray to mind the gap, whether it's a straightaway instant answer that we see, whether it's we have to wait a bit longer, whether he answers it in a way that we didn't put on our agenda, whatever God chooses to do, it's his business. We have no business dictating to God how he answers his own prayers. That is not what we're in the business of doing. We let God be God. The gap that we mind that we're custodians of for other people is nothing to do with us. We are not God. It is not our place to decide how God answers the prayers for other people or when he answers them. We just are faithful to the calling on our life to stand in the gap for other people. And that brings me on to what it actually is. So what is the gap? I'll tell you, the gap is merciful. When we stand in, when we stand in that gap, it is merciful. If we read Luke 6 and you go through chapters 26, 27 to 36, you know, where Jesus tells them, you know, you will do unto others as you would have them do to you. He says, you know, it's merciful to pray for your enemies. That's what we're told to do. So when we stand in the gap, it's never about withholding. We put Jesus first. It is always merciful. Our motive for standing and minding the gap is mercy. We pray the mercy of God on people. And you know what I love about the mercy of God is that he showed it to me and I didn't deserve it. And he shows it to all who, of us who believe in him. And we didn't deserve it. But you know what? He shows it anyway. He shows it anyway. And all he asks in return is that we obey him and put him first. Because what mercy does, when Jesus died for us, there has never been a love like that. You know, love in its purest form is sacrificial and redemptive. That's what Jesus did. So when we are in this position, when we are standing here, we need to understand that when we put Jesus first, it should reorder all our loves. We need to reassess our priorities, friends. I watched um, an interview with Timothy Keller, theologian Timothy Keller, and, you know, he quoted that. I think it was Augustine as well. He said, you know, when you love Jesus, it reorders all your loves. Listen, if Jesus isn't our first love and our best love, we have to take a step back and work through in all mercy with God and with God's love poured over us why we're not putting him first. Jesus has to come before everything else. He comes before my child. He comes before my parents. He comes before my sisters. He comes before my job. He comes before my dog. He comes before my friends. He comes before everything. And when I put Jesus first, when he is... Uh, elevated to the rightful position in my life where I exalt him, that's when I love everybody else better because he deserves to be put first. He should be put first. So when I order it that way instead of the other way, I love everyone else better 
because love is, it is a miracle because when you love, you don't run out of it. The more you love, the more love there is and it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. So when we put Jesus right at the head because he is God and God is love. So once we have put love first, there is just more love and more love and more love and more love in our lives and for other people. So when we're in that place, when we're reassessing and when we've got to a place where we can put Jesus first and put him above all other loves, the Bible tells us, Luke 6 tells us, you pray for your enemies. You pray blessing upon your enemies. My friends, the call upon a Christian's life when we stand in that gap, I mean, enemies is quite an archaic word, isn't it? You know, I'd like to think I haven't got any enemies, but have I got people who maybe don't like me very much? I imagine, so I can't think why, but I imagine so. Are there people who I get on their nerves? Yeah, let's be honest and real. We're not always everyone's cup of tea, are we? But there are some things in our lives where people have used us badly, have abused us terribly. And our role is to stand in that place of forgiveness and pray for them. So when there is somebody who is making your life miserable, who your life is just, you know, denigrated and demoted by someone, Jesus tells us to pray for them. And when he asks us to pray for them, he doesn't ask us to pray in some mealy-mouthed way where we're actually, you know, withholding, but we're saying we're praying. He says, you pray blessing upon them. So the way I pray for my enemies is the way I would pray for my best friend. It's the way I would pray for the person I love most in the world. I pray blessing upon them. I pray good things for them. I don't pray, you know, Lord, please point out to them everything they've done wrong to me and make them repent of it and then I can be a nicer person to them. It isn't, Lord, you know, let them be nice to me again, teach them a lesson or make them fat or, you know, you know, it's none of that. It's none of our agenda or our, you know, mealy-mouthed prayers, or the way that sometimes we can make it sound like a prayer, but it's actually not. It's really about me venting about what's wrong and why that other person is a terrible human being, but I'm right. It isn't about any of that. God says, pray blessing upon these people. And you know what? If we take it right back to the Old Testament, when we do that, the Bible tells us it goes well for me and my children. It goes well for me and my descendants. A blessing upon me goes from generation to generation to generation. That blessing upon me is nothing other than God in my life because I am obedient to him and I walk with him and I align my steps with him. So when we pray, friends, when we pray for those, the Bible, you know, the King James Version has this lovely phrase, those that would despitefully use you. That pretty much does what it says in the tin. When people whose motivation towards you is nothing more than spite and malice. When you stand in the gap for them and pray God's blessing upon them, you are doing Christ's work. You are standing in the gap and that is what he wants. So, you know, as I bring it to a close here now, I hope we just see the importance. Because Christ died for us, because he stood in that gap, because he was crucified, because he died, and because he rose again, because he left us the comforter in the form of the Holy Spirit, because God loved us so much, he sent his only son to die. Because of all of that, we're asked to stand in the gap for other people who don't know that. That's the call upon our lives. So when you're praying for people, never think it's a wasted prayer. When you're praying for the world, never think it's a wasted prayer. When you stand in the gap for others, we are doing God's work. 
and God's work is the best work. Can I pray to finish? I'd love it if we could pray to finish. And you know what? If you want to stand, um, if you can stand, let's stand. Let's physically stand in the gap for people this morning. Lord God, we worship and adore you. We put you first, Lord God. We pray that you would reorder our love so that you come first and no other. Lord God, this morning, I want to pray for everybody who is praying for somebody. Lord God, I want to pray the purest of prayers, that our words are seasoned with love. Lord, I want to pray that as we stand in the gap for people, you ignite within us a spirit that would urge and... Uh, just petition you, Lord, to stand before you and say, please, Lord, will you save? Please, Lord, will you save? Lord God, we wait for your answer. We wait in anticipation of all that you are going to do. Lord God, this morning, I stand with people who are standing in the gap for people. We love you, Lord, and we know we pray to a God who listens and who acts on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a good day. This message was brought to you from Calon Church. If you want to know more, please check us out online at calon.church.